and Harrington is smart. He makes great plays at the end of the game to win them. With six minutes to go, Joey Harrington is available. Welcome to the Flock Pod. We are at hashtag, you know, it doesn't even matter because this one is going on another episode. So this one's going to be, we are going to release this as a standalone interview also, but this is going to be on the backside of our Utah preview. So uh, today we are incredibly blessed and we have the honor of having a true man of Oregon on the little duck pass that duck podcast that could the man behind the Harrington Family Foundation, Captain Comeback himself, Mr. Joey Harrington. Joey, how are you doing this morning? Uh, well, my ego's just been kind of lifted a little bit. It's been a good 20 years since uh, I've had an intro like that, you know. Hey, I love <laughs> and it. And Dad, can you make me a grilled cheese sandwich? And uh, I don't care if you're on crutches. I need my laundry done. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, no, we're uh, we're stoked to have you. So I'm, I'm happy to meet you with that kind of hype man energy. But uh, yeah, we'll just, uh, we're really happy to have you. We're going to jump right into the interview here. Uh, Shane, why don't you uh, get us started, my friend? All right. So, uh, you know, Pat, getting past that Washington state when we head into a couple games here that we've been looking forward to uh all season pretty much so uh, how do you feel about this duck team as they go into probably the most crucial stretch of the season um i feel about as good as i have all year i mean that's and i think part of it is because it's not necessarily about the team for me it's about the realization of what this team has become under mario right um we are so used to as, as Oregon fans, you know, what, you know, let, let's go back, you know, 30 to, you know, 25 years to Bilotti, to Chip Kelly, to, you know, even with Helfridge, you know, the, the fast paced, you know, we're scoring in bunches right from the start of the game. You're up 21, nothing. Mario has said for a long time, that's not the type of team he's building. Right? He said, we are building a team to win in the trenches. We are building a team that's going to be tough on defense. We're building a team that's going to stand up to win in those games in November, right? But I don't think we, and, he, and I say we as an Oregon fan base, and, and also the national narrative about Oregon, I don't think people have paid attention, right? You still have this idea of what Oregon should be, right? Mm-hmm. If we're not scoring 21 out of the gate, you know, in the first quarter, God, we're, we're playing terrible football. But in reality, what what Mario has done is he's built a team that gets stronger as the game goes on. And he's built a team that has gotten stronger as the year has gone on. Right. So if you, if you come at it from that context and look at what they've done in terms of resilience with, you know, with injuries, with uh, adapting to quarterback play with, um, you know, dealing with uh, losing your star running back and bringing in young guys there. This team has continued to get better as the year goes on. So to answer your question of how I feel right now, I feel better than I have at any point in the season about this team because one, I have a better understanding and to finally listen to who Mario says they are and the type of team that he's building, which is a team that 
can win these type of games in November, in the monsoon off of Lake Washington in, in Seattle, <laughs> in the cold in Utah, right? You know, th- this is the type of team that he's building, a team that's number one in, in rush defense in, in the in the. I keep trying to say country in the conference, a number two, uh, uh, an offense that's number two only by one yard per game in rush offense in the conference. This is the type of team that wins close, hard fought games at the end of the season. And I, and I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, it's interesting how you talk about that. That's a point that we've been really hitting hard, how this team takes teams into deep water in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a team that's just going to outlast you. And that, that's not that's never been the the Oregon image. And that's something that it's fought, you know, when Chip Kelly was here. It's something like you mentioned when that Bilotti fought when he was there, that this team was West Coast. It's West Coast offense. It's high scoring. It's bad defense. That kind of stigma. Was that something that you considered when you talked about, you know, choosing to go to Oregon, you know, kind of fighting against that uh, stigma? And, you know, you're, kind you're, of... you're giving me way too much credit. All these choices. Like, I would decide to get Oregon and Stanford. Uh, okay. okay, I was I was a a very uh, slightly recruited, not highly recruited. I had a couple of offers. Um, one to that school in Corvallis, which um, you know we don't need to talk about. <laughs> Oregon and, and and Stanford. Yeah. But it but it was the case, you know, when I did choose to come to Oregon, that um, we were smaller. Right. We, we, we literally like, you know, looked it. Yeah. Brand, we were smaller, but in terms uh-huh. of like, literally the size of our players, we were smaller. I'll, I'll never forget sitting, we were playing Texas in the holiday bowl. And I was sitting there, we were all doing a, um, you know, one of those not meet and greet, but Hey, both teams at the San Diego zoo. And, you know, we're sitting around there having lunch and I was sitting with my offensive lineman who, you know, Ryan Schmidt was running about 272 at the moment, you know, at, at that time at center. And, you know, we had actually, you know, Ryan had moved to guard and Jeff Austin had come over to center, I think, um, you know, who was all of 280. I don't know <laughs> anybody over like 305. And we watched, <laughs> we were playing Texas and it was, and all these guys are NFL First round draft picks, I believe, Mike Leonard, Sean and Casey. Yeah. So two D linemen and two offensive linemen, Mike Williams, Leonard Davis, both over six. I'd say Leonard was like six, six, three seventy. <laughs> Mike was about six, five, three fifty. Sean Rogers and Casey Hampton on their D line, both of which, I mean, were just massive. And I'll never forget watching all of my offensive linemen as those four walked by. They were, you know, eating their sandwiches at lunchtime and it was <laughs> all of their mouth, like the sandwiches fell out of their mouths and their, you know, their mouths fell open. Like we have to play those guys. And it was like, come on, come on. We got it guys. Yep, we got it. Yep. We got it. So there was literally a physical size difference. My point being between Oregon players then and the rest of the country. Right. And we did, we did fight that stigma. And I won't even call it a stigma. It was a reality, right? Mm-hmm. Who did we lose to during those stretches with Mariota, during the stretches with um, the, the team with Darren Thomas that went to the BCS championship game? Mm-hmm. Um, who did we lose to? We lost to Stanford because they pushed us around with Toby Gerhardt. They yep. played better defense than us. We lost to Auburn because they ran the ball, right? We lost to Ohio State because they pushed us around, right? Those were the teams that we lost to. And we lost to them because they were more physical than us. So now Oregon and and Mario specifically is trying to flip that script. And this is the first year, you know, for I think a lot of different reasons that people have had an opportunity to see the full body of work, which mm-hmm. is um, 
the offensive line that he has put together, even dealing with six different starting lineup combinations has week in and week out pushed defensive lines around, including the defensive line of Ohio State, right? That, that's something that needs to be recognized. And I think it's going to be, I hope it's going to be the difference between getting close to that national championship, like we have a couple of times and getting through that barrier and finally, you know, finally breaking through and holding that trophy. Getting over yeah. that hump. Yep. Yeah. We've talked a few times about how like even the loss this year to Stanford looks so much different than losses to Stanford in previous years. But uh, earlier you mentioned, you know, that this team isn't the same kind of Oregon offense that we've seen in previous years. You know, it's not a Chip Kelly style offense. How do you think you would have fared in your college days had Chip Kelly been the head coach and you got to run that high up-tempo system? I would have loved it because my, my favorite times, um, and I think the times that I performed the best were the, the no huddle, two minute, like up at the line of scrimmage going, you know, hey, I recognize here's what you got. Here's my wide nine. Here's my three technique on the backside. I got a single safety, bam, throw the, you know, and and to a certain extent, that's what Chip's offense was. It was, I would say, I don't say dumbed down a little bit, but, you know, they were going so fast. It was one, two, three, four, five on that side, one, two, three, four on this side, go to that side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game completely changed, um, you know, in, in, that, in those 10 years between, you know, when I was there and, and when Chip was there. But I, I would have loved to play in that style of offense because everything was done at the line of scrimmage. Right. The, the times that I struggled, yeah, the times where I was less successful uh, <laughs> were, were the times when things were kind of slow and you kind of you kind of grind, you grind in it out. Um, and the times when I was on and that light switch just flipped for me were the two minute drills. Right. The time at the end of the game when it's like, I got to go now, you know, make a choice, make the throw. You know what you got. Trust it. Go get the guys up. Move next play. And that's, that's what Chip was all about. So I, I would have loved um, to play in that style of offense. And, and, and that was something that, that really followed me throughout my career was the times where I was most successful, you know, the, the one or two times when I was successful in the NFL were, <laughs> um, were you know, with, with guys like Mike Malarkey, when we would call the offense at the line of scrimmage yeah. for a little bit in, in uh, or I had him in Miami and then I had him for a little bit in Atlanta. Um, and that was, that was where I always felt most comfortable was at the line of scrimmage because I wasn't, I wasn't faster or stronger or more athletic. Um, you know, I, I was probably one of the least athletic guys on the team. Um, but I prided myself on being smarter and quicker up here. Yep. Um, I could recognize what was happening. And I had studied to a point where I knew when I saw X, I did Y, bam, go. And that was when I was at my best. And, and like I said, that's, that's what a lot of what Chip did. No, it makes a ton of sense. It's more that video game style offense is going to get things moving so much faster, like you're saying. And as someone who was on the cover of a video game, have you, were you ever into video games? And if you had a favorite game, why was it NCAA football 2003? That was <laughs> the last video game that I played. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't the, 2000, the 2003, 2002. Whichever one I was on the cover of mm-hmm. the year before okay. was the last game that I played, right? Yep. When we're all still, uh, because I wasn't actually in the game where I was on the cover because, you know, the whole right. uh, already graduated. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. graduated. And then I got the contract to be on the cover. Yep. But I remember that was what we played in college. Um, and we all, I would say we all, 
many of us uh, <laughs> were looking at the spring depth chart saying, okay, I got to get to number three on the depth chart, because then if I get to number three on the depth chart, you they put, you know, put my number into the game. <laughs> for the following year, right? So there were two years where I was sitting behind Keeley, Jason Moss, AJ Feely, and I was sitting there at number four. It was like, dang. You know, I got to wait for a little while till I get into the video game. So, but that was the last time I really, really played any sort of um, true video game. So what, 20 years ago? So when you guys played this game, were you guys playing as yourselves, like a majority of the time? Or was that like a not cool thing to do? You know, were you like using the video game to scout the other teams? Like- no, no, no. <laughs> um, I would say... There were a lot of guys that played with Oregon um, because it was fun. Mm-hmm. But then there were, I'll, 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 I always remember Rashad Bowman. He would play with somebody else. Like he was, he wasn't afraid to play with somebody. He's like, no, nah, screw it. Miami's better in this game. I'm going to be Miami. <laughs> Miami was really good in that game. <laughs> they were a pretty legit <laughs> Miami team. Yeah. That was, that was kind of Rashad's personality. And you got to respect that. Um, but yeah, most of the guys played with Oregon. And honestly, most of the guys found themselves in the death chart and put themselves in, even though they were like 10 times worse than the guy in oh, front of yeah. them. So, you know, hey, it wasn't my fault I threw that pick. It was the, you know, it was the offensive lineman. You know, just because my numbers are like 27 and passing. And it's not my fault. No, that, that makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense. And so kind of speaking of that, that 2000, 2001, 2002 seasons, you know, there's, there's an urban legend kind of going around how, how you and a bunch of the, the juniors from that group kind of got together during that season and had a, had a late night conversation about your goals of winning a national championship. Did that, did that meeting actually take place? That or... didn't take place as the junior. Oh, okay. But that, that took place in our freshman year. Freshman year. Okay. That was our freshman year when we walked in the door and we were sitting in training camp. And um, again, it was, it was guys like Rashad and myself. Uh, We actually met in Garrett Sable's room. Um, Steve Smith was there. Wes Mallard was there. Justin Peel was there. Um, And we decided that we weren't okay with just being good enough. Right. And, and, and I'll never forget. Um, we, we had coach Bilotti was, did a great thing. And every one of us got an, an individual meeting with him after the season. We could talk about whatever we wanted. We could talk about um, you know, why you didn't get playing time. You could talk about, you know, catcher in the rye and discuss, you know, English literature. It, it, it didn't matter. <laughs> Everybody had 15 minutes. And I will, I very distinctly remember him saying, uh, asking him during my time, why don't we ever talk about winning a national championship here? And his response was very, um, it kind of represented where Oregon was at the time. He said, because the seniors decided that if we set a goal of winning a national championship and we lose a game, then that goal is automatically wiped off the list and they don't want to take that goal off the list. Instead, our goal, or you know, the goal at that time was Rose Bowl, right? Because, you know, like in 94, you, you went eight and three and you went to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that that was not um, you, know, you lose a game and that that goal didn't disappear. I said, that's not good enough. And and that's when then when we met as and it wasn't like, hey, all freshmen were coming in, you know, to talk about a national championship. It was one of those one of those kind of late night sitting around the dorms and, you know, a couple guys hang out. And then, you know, you call a couple guys, more guys to come down and you just start start talking. And we all agreed that um, that wasn't good enough. 
you know, we, we didn't come, we're not playing college football just to, just to be above average, right? There's no reason why. And I, I remember having this, the conversation with Justin Peel, who even to this day is like the most eternal pessimist I've ever met. It's, <laughs> it's, a, good, it's a good thing. Like it keeps him motivated. But I said, why, if, if we win all of our games, why wouldn't we be in the national championship? And he said, well, just because we're Oregon, we don't get the respect. I said, garbage. If we win our games, we get the respect. And he's, and it was just this like, well, they'll, they'll never even consider us, right? It's always, it's Washington and USC and Nebraska and Michigan and Ohio State. We're not on the map. I said, well, then let's, be, let's get on the map. That's, and, and we had a group of, of freshmen that became, like you said, juniors and seniors uh, in 2000, 2001, that really drove that, that change. It was guys like Rashad Bowman, who wasn't afraid to get up in, in a senior's face and you say, and, and say, you know what, garbage, get out, you know, well, he didn't exactly say garbage, get out <laughs> of my way, right? You know, you're not going to hold us back. I don't care if you're older than me. I'm going to challenge not only for your position, but I'm going to challenge the way you think. Um, and that. we had guys, guys who were willing to work to do that. Do you ever like look back at your time and the opportunities that you had, especially like that 2001 season and think about like had the college football playoff existed, you know, how differently it could have gone for you and getting those extra opportunities. And then on top of that, how do you feel about the college football playoff expanding from here? Um, I don't think about what if the playoff had been around, <laughs> you know, every year the, you know, at some point during a, an interview, somebody will ask, do you think you should have been included in the, in the BCS championship game? And, mm -hmm. and the answer is always absolutely yes. Mm -hmm. uh, ironically, you know, the, the story I give to them is you have to remember who that Miami team was that we would have played. And it was Kenny Dorsey backed up by Brock Berlin. It was Andre Johnson at wideout. It was Jeremy Shockey backed up by um, Kellen Winslow backed up by Greg Olson. Left tackles were Joaquin Gonzalez and Vernon, um, not Vernon, Vernon Davis, Vernon, um, Vernon Carey, uh, DJ Williams, Jonathan Vilma, Ed Reed was backed up by Sean Taylor, <laughs> Mike Rumpf, um, Mike Rumpf and um, uh, uh, Joseph, um, uh, who were back, who was backed up by Antrell Roll, um, Philip Buchanan, that's who it was, Philip Buchanan, um, defensive tackle was... Uh, uh, Jerome McDougal, who was backed up by Vince Wilfork. I mean, oh, running back, running back. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the big one. That's the biggest one. It was Clinton Portis, who was backed up by um, Willis McGahee. Was backed up by Willis McGahee, who was backed up by Najee Davenport, who was backed up by um, Jarrett Payton, all of whom only got the chance to play because Frank Gore tore his ACL during. Oh yeah. yeah. So knew, literally oh, that man. team was filled with, we had, they had more first round draft picks on that team than we had NFL draft picks on the entire team. Yep. yep. That being said, all it takes is one game. Exactly. And we saw that one game the following year when Craig Krenzel and Maurice Claret beat that team. Mm -hmm. right? and, and after they had won, you know, 163 games in a row, uh, <laughs> they went and beat them. And, and I think that our team had the resolve to do that. Now, if we played them 10 times, would we win 10 of them? Probably not. Um, but all it took was one. And, and, and I truly believe that had we had the opportunity, we, we would have done that. So one oh, of the... There's another question to that about the playoff this year. Yeah, about it expanding. Uh, expanding. Um, 
you have to. You, you absolutely have to expand. I don't like the idea of going to 12 um, simply because that's being driven by the SEC. That's being driven by um, the people who want more of their own representation. When in reality, if, if this is a, if, if this is a you know, national tournament, you, I, I like the team. I like the, the, the format of eight. It's the five conference champions. Mm-hmm. One, it's one represent, you know, it's the, it's the power five champions. It's one representation call, you know, um, conference champion from the group of five. And then it's two at large bids, right? It's the second team from the sec. It's a second team from the big 10, whoever it is, but that gives everybody an equal share at the table. It gives you, gives you the chance for the Cinderella. Um, it eliminates the discussion of people being left out because if you don't win your comp, just win your conference championship. Mm-hmm. Right? And um, I don't know that that's my feeling. I, I don't, the way that it's currently set up, it's a four team, inv- four team invitational. It's it's not a it's not a um, end of season tournament. It's it's an invitational tournament where people sit in a room and choose you know who they think should be there. So I think an eight team is a is a best is best representation is the best representation of what college football playoffs should be. I think twelve teams, you know, sure does it give you more games? Yeah, but um, it's purely for the point of. Is being driven by the SEC, who wants to have a bigger share of the pie. Who's being driven by money, and and I'm not. I, I acknowledge and understand that you know this is a money driven game, especially now. Um, but I think there's a certain level, a certain way to keep that in check. No, and I think that's the great debate going on in college football right now. And one of the one of the big debates that we have on this podcast constantly, and one of the corners that we really sit strongly on here is, is it puddles or the duck? It is unequivocally the duck. Oh, oh no! Puddles. <laughs> Look, this is okay. this is one hundred percent. We're listening. We're listening. We're willing to be converted. True. Okay, puddles. So there are there are three. Yeah, we'll call it three represent three zones of Oregon um, mascots, right? Okay. Yeah. Puddles was the actual duck that they brought over from the mill race in the 650, I think it might've been in the fifties. They had it on a leash. Like they brought this duck onto a leash or put him on a leash and brought him into the stadium. They named that duck puddles. Okay. okay? Then you transition to the Disney partnership, the Don, the representation of Donald coming through. And I say, this is, you know, I kind of put this all in the same zone because, you know, some of the coaches wanted to be the fighting ducks. And then you had a couple of years where it was like an angry Donald coming through the, O. <laughs> you know, then the, um, you know, then it just went back to the ducks and then there was, you know, the, the controversy with Disney and, and did, was there really a contract or was it just this verbal agreement? But then they brought out this picture of somebody from Oregon and somebody from Disney, you know, with their arms around each other. And that was kind of the, the handshake agreement until that expired in, you're going to call me on this one. I want to say it expired in the early nineties. I could be wrong. No, I think that sounds right. I don't remember the exact date, but that sounds right. From that point, and, and I, again, I'm, I don't have a specific, but the, the duck mascot came maybe mid-80s, early 80s, excuse me, mid-80s, late, late 80s, as that transition was happening. But he is simply the duck. Puddles was the actual name of the actual, was the name of the actual duck that they used to bring out in the 50s and 60s. This is just the duck. He is um, a relative of Puddles, 
He is a relative of Donald, you know, in the family tree of duckdom. <laughs> you know, they are all intermingled and related. Yes. Know, this and, and, you know, it's backed up on Twitter. It's backed up on Wikipedia. It's, but it is purely the Oregon duck. He is simply the duck. I feel so, like we just learned something. Um, no, I was, definitely That was the best did. explanation we've gotten. Though, so. Absolutely. So do, is Robo Duck like the crazy uncle that comes home for Thanksgiving dinner then? Oh, no. Did I freeze? Are you kidding? All right. Um, yeah, we'll just keep going here. Oh, uh, it looks like I'm back. We're good. We're good. We just rolled. So <laughs> I right, heard cool. a lot of crazy. What, what I was going to say is go back and look into like the, the late 70s, early 80s. I believe it was the basketball coach who really wanted to be the fighting ducks. Right. It's it, everything became like this angry duck. And there was a few years where it was like the angry duck coming out of the O. That mm -hmm. was like kind of a, an interesting, weird transition. And now they've settled into like, we're just the crazy fun. You know, maybe that's what you're saying. The crazy fun uncle uh, is, is the duck uh, now. Well, I was asking about where Robo Duck fits in if he's like that crazy uncle, you know what I mean? <laughs> who comes home for Thanksgiving dinner and just doesn't really know what's going on. Uh, um, I would more consider Robo Duck. And, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna hold this thought here because, um, or I will. And I think are, are you are you Robo Duck, Joey? I just confirm <laughs> it now for the people. Are you Robo Duck? I am not Robo Duck. However, <laughs> in my new um, uh, what's the word? In my new uh, Twitter verse, you know, my Twitter world x you know experiences, um, I have come across what I believed to be the official RoboDuck Twitter account. Now there's yes. apparently two that, that that compete. However, the one that I found is hilarious. He is absolutely <laughs> like, it is the funniest stuff. Like, and, and every once in a while, it's just, I'll send out, hey, RoboDuck, what's going on? And he said, I'm, you know, I'm three margaritas deep outside the locker room and I can't remember the code. Somebody, you know, somebody didn't <laughs> let me in. So I think he acknowledges the fact that he's on the outside looking in. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I would say that he is the, he is not the crazy uncle, but rather the guy who says, oh yeah, you know, I, um, you know, I'm cousins with uh, Marianne who married uh, Tony <laughs> on your mom's side, you know, and everybody's looking through the family tree. Like, do you know, Tony? I don't know. It's like, uh, it's like wedding crashers. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect it analogy. Is. Yes, exactly. Uh, there you go. So uh, we've kind of narrowed down Otson's best traditions to just three. And we want to know what you think your favorite is between the, the duck coming in on the motorcycle to start the game, the duck doing the push-ups for, you know, to represent the point scored or shout. I love the duck, but I don't think it's even close. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I mean, it's... Um... I, I don't because the the duck coming in on the motorcycle. So the motor, motorcycle actually started when I was there and mm -hmm. it was Gary Zimmerman who used to ride the motorcycle, a uh, hall of fame uh, offensive lineman played with the Broncos. Mm -hmm. The push-ups, I think just happened because Chip Kelly and them were scoring a bunch of points and you know, now you got a muscle milk uh, endorsement. Right. Yeah. <laughs> involves everybody yes it literally involves everybody in the stadium 
it involves the you know in games when there's you know enough of a cushion it involves the players on the field and here's the here's the funny story about the shout video if you don't already know so it was right after marcus um the year that oregon beat james winston and florida state in the uh, in the rose bowl in the semifinal and we were all down there and i say we you know meaning all of you know the duck world and late that night, I got a text message. I believe it was from Tinker. Um, I could be wrong, but it was somebody. No, uh, anyway, um, saying tomorrow morning, can you be at this studio at either eight o'clock or um, eight o'clock or eleven o'clock? And I was like, well, yeah, I can. I can do this. We're putting together a video that is gonna run as the first commercial after we win the national championship against Ohio State. Oh. So we all went down oh, in wow. two shifts. They literally recreated, um, they recreated the bar where uh, Otis Day and the Knights were playing. And I mean, we had, you know, it was Dan Fouts and Neil Everett and, you know, all that group and, and I think, can't remember if the mic was and, and Kenyon were there, but you know, in shifts and we had a morning shift and a noon shift and we did this thing in one day, wow. put the whole thing oh, together wow. in one day of shooting. And it was so much fun. It was absolutely so much fun to just cut loose and um, knowing that this could be kind of a moment in, in Oregon history, right? So we play the, you know, play the game and, you know, we get beat by Ohio State and it's like, huh. So Nike had bought like a one, I think it was one minute. It might've been two minutes. Immediate, the entire commercial break immediately after the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And sitting there watching that, you know, that, that game, it was like, well, so much for that commercial. So there was a, there was kind of a, and I don't think they did anything with it that year. I could be, I could be wrong, but it was like, well, now what? And so they put it in the can. And if you'll notice the very beginning of the commercial or the very beginning of the shout video has Marcus sitting on the steps. Mm-hmm. That wasn't in the original cut because Marcus was playing in the games. That makes sense. Yeah. So what it allowed them to do is put it in the can, go back it's and the guitar. Record, record Marcus's piece with the guitar coming down mm-hmm. the stairs. And if you'll notice, the only time he's in the actual dance part of the video, it's a single shot of him <laughs> on like a chair or a bench, just kind of like tapping his hand. Right, because it, they did what they could they cut to it. splice him in mm-hmm. to that giant scene that they had set for the rest of us. So, I don't know. I, I think that has become such a um, such an iconic piece of Otson game day that, um, and it involves everybody. And there's a mm-hmm. cool story behind it. And uh, I love the duck. Um, but sorry, it's definitely shout. <laughs> no, I think, I think I agree with you on that one. And I yeah. know that, uh, you've got a heart out today, so we want to be respectful of your time, but I just want to get this in here, but kind of before we wrap yeah. up, um, I actually came stumbled across your Ted talk that you had done, um, uh, five years ago and, uh, this, this last week, and it was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I just wanted to say as someone uh, who's dealt with my own mental health issues, um, I'd like to say thank you, uh, for furthering the conversation in the public light, being willing to get out there and tell your story, uh, 
male vulnerability in those kinds of moments is always a challenge also. So being willing to do that and do so in such a public way, just really appreciate that. And uh, it's really powerful. Um, on top of the amazing uh, Socality Barbie story, I'd never heard that also. That was absolutely incredible. But uh, just, just you doing that and you producing that video has really had a positive impact on me. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Well, I appreciate it. Um, it, it was... It was admittedly, and, and I didn't, I didn't know it at the time, but it was a pretty cathartic moment. You know, I, I told that story, you know, I, I told my story in, in plenty of venues uh, or in plenty of ways, but but never standing on a stage in front of, you know, five thousand people there. Um, and honestly, in in all the in all the prep and all the rehearsals and writing this writing the talk it never felt emotional. I mean, it, it never felt like um, there was going to be this rush of emotion, but um, yeah, I think that was the first time I'd really had a chance to just get it off my chest to everybody um, because it was tough. It, it was, it was really hard. when, when you spend truly your lifetime working for something and what that work, that work becomes how you are defined, not only publicly, but, you know, internally. And then all of a sudden, you're not good at, you know, you're not good at that anymore. The effect that it has on you as a person, your self-worth, um, your ability to continue to do the job that, um, you know, made up your lifetime. Um, it, it, it's something that I think a lot of people aren't able to deal with um, or prepared to deal with. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, the great thing, the thing that I found that um, first, you know, well, thank you for, for sharing that. And, and thank you for watching it. I mean, is, is, is I've had high school teachers say, I showed this to my class or I showed this or counselors. So I, sh you know, I, I showed this to my, to my students who are struggling with very similar things mm -hmm. uh, in terms of self-identity and self-doubt and comparing themselves to others and having to put out this, this idea of just perfection and I have to be perfect for everybody. Um, when in reality, it's, it's not healthy. It's, it's great to strive for things. It's great to have goals, things that you want to accomplish, but you also have to acknowledge the failures that you're going to have along the way. And you have to acknowledge how those failures not only help you grow as a person, um, but shape and, and truly make, make the experiences better. Um, and, and that's something I don't think a lot of people are, are able to do, which is embrace the, embrace the mess, embrace the failure and say, you know what, this sucks right now, but um, I'm not going to stop believing in, in myself and what I can do and who I am. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so, yeah. No, perfectly put. And I think that's a, that's a great place for us to wrap up for today. So um, as we end with every podcast, I'll say it. This it, it carries special meaning, I feel like, with, with the conversation we just had. But uh, take care of your chicken. Take care of your mentals. We appreciate you. We love you. We out. Peace. Sorry.
Shout a little bit softer now. 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 Shout a little bit softer now.